Hey there, my peeps. Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast, episode 270. And yes, I called you peeps because today, this week, it's Easter week, the week of the peep. And so if you're a person that likes like stale marshmallows encrusted in sugar, this is your week because Easter week is the week of the peep, all right? And it also happens to be when Jesus rose from the dead. That's what we're celebrating this week as well. So if you don't have a church you're going to this Sunday, man, come to Redemption Church. We're going to be celebrating that. If you do have a church you go to, go there and celebrate this beautiful gift that was given to us. Not just that Jesus came to deal with our problem, but he rose from the dead to give the solution. And the solution isn't simply that we all get to have life with him in the future, but it's also that we get to live our lives every day today for him to bring transformation to the world around us. That is the whole goal of this podcast right here. It's to remind us, hey, this is what it means to be an everyday missionary. And I think in that too, to kind of keep us on point with what actually really matters and not get pushed into the weeds of what doesn't really matter. And I'm going to be talking about some of that today. Now, before I get underway with that, a couple of little uh, housekeeping things. First of all, it's been a hot minute since we've been together. In fact, it's going to be three weeks now since I did a podcast last. And there was all sorts of reasons for that. Life was busy, work was busy, church was busy, everything else. Uh, if you didn't get an email on this yet, or you're not on our email list, our more kind of intimate email list as a church, uh, yesterday I released a video kind of going through our building stuff, saying that we need to raise some more money. So if you haven't heard that, listen to that, because that's an important little detail that's happening with us right now. So it's like, hey, exciting stuff. The building's getting under way. Other things we got to know. We got to finish up paying a a little bit more money to get it finished up as it gets underway. So you might check that out. So that's the first thing I want you to know about. And then the second thing I want you to know about is, you know what, Uh, we're going into this time of year where the weather gets a little better here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, We can be a little bit more kind of detached, doing things, busy as families, friends, whatever it is. And so just make sure you're staying tethered, at least digitally, to some of the things that are going on at the Redemption Church. Because over the next few months, lots is going to be going on. Building's getting underway. Uh, We're going to be teaching on different things. We're going to have the podcast still over the summer. So again, it's just a way that you can kind of stay connected because I know kind of what happens as we start to move into quote spring, though you wouldn't know it around here. I had snow at my house three times this last week. Yes, three times ridiculousness for sure. Um, And so... Uh, But I know that as we get into the nice weather, people start missing Sundays, they start getting a little detached. Make sure you do whatever you can to stay attached uh, because, again, there's going to be plenty of things going on and plenty of lessons to be taught uh, in these contexts that we have as a church, whether it be the podcast or Sunday mornings, whatever it is, that would be great. But that is not the topic of the day. The topic of the day is, again, being an everyday missionary. And uh, I want to talk about, again, kind of philosophically, why I've titled the podcast as I have and why I try to, as much as possible, stay true to some semblance of that um, focus, right? I try to keep us on the track a little bit. And and, and part of this is I'm going to use uh, kind of an illustrative point, which is I think the way of Jesus is like a road, right? Because before there was the Mandalorian, there was Jesus, and he said, this is the way, right? I know that the Mandalorian eventually steals it from Jesus, but Christianity, before it was called Christianity, was called the way, right? So Jesus had the way because Jesus is the way, and we are to walk the way. In fact, it says in 1 John that we are to walk just as Jesus walked. And so the illustration I always have in my mind is that we're on a road, but it's like a Seattle road. It's like a small country road just outside of Seattle where each side of the road has a ditch so deep it could swallow your car and you would never see it again. 
it's like it's like these portals to Hades, you know. It's just on each side of a road here, and if you go in, you're staying in until somebody goes spelunking, finds your vehicle in the dark, and pulls it out. That's kind of the way it works here, and I think in modern American Christianity. We need to think in terms of there is a risk, which is the ditch to the left and the ditch to the right. And the left and the right ditches are all sorts of things, right? You could say it's the political left or the political right. You could say it's Republicans or Democrats, conservatives or liberals. But you can also say it's being a legalist or it's being too license-based, right? Like all of that is true. And I find the way our culture wars unfold, I find the ways that we get impassioned want to push or pull to those two ditches. It wants to get us off the way of Jesus and we want to get wrapped up in morality or immorality. We want to get wrapped up in defending immorality or condemning morality or whatever thing, depending on what side of the political, social aisle you are on. And yet for the everyday missionary, we don't want to fall into those gimmicks and games because that's what they are. And more importantly, they disrupt our ability to have good reputation when it comes to then what the real intent and message of Jesus is all about. So this is why I'm always kind of fixated on this because I see so often we are so easily kind of baited into veering left or veering right. And, and my objective, including myself, because I'm tempted to do that, I want to go, no, I want to recalibrate every every time I'm thinking about it. Like, wait, what actually matters here? As I love to say, we want to remember who is our enemy? Not a single human being walking this planet. Not a single human being walking this planet is our enemy. And if we can't get that, we won't get the rest of it, right? Because I think it's too easy to go, nope. They're the bad guys. There's the enemy. They're the danger. They're the ones that risk everything. They're the ones I'm against. And these are the ones I'm for. And this is my clan. And my clan is right. And their clan is wrong. And again, we're off the way. We're in a ditch. We're in a ditch to the right or a ditch to the left. And so this is where we have to go. Now, I got to think more clearly because our job in society is not to socially engineer anything, but rather it's to try to communicate Jesus in, in Jesus in such a way that there is transformation to the internal composite of a person. He brings change in them. And then that societal change happens more organically than it does assertively or aggressively. In particular, what we don't want is assertive or aggressive policymaking that's designed to defeat my social enemy and set up my social utopia. That's going to miss the mark. I mean, I think about this with Jesus when he's before Pilate. And Pilate's like, all right, so are you a king? And Jesus is like, I'm, I'm not a king like you think because my kingdom and my way of getting things done is not like the way the world gets it done. If that were the case, my my followers would fight, right? And, and the tragic reality of this is in today's climate, I find that followers of Jesus were more willing to fight like the world. We're, we're willing to use the world's tools to fight and completely just lose a sign of the fact that Jesus is like, but my followers don't fight like this world. If my kingdom's upside down and backwards, if it changes things through love, if it changes things through service, if it changes things through personal sacrifice for the good of another, that I take double the load to lighten their load, then, then why would I think that the tools of this world are going to get real kingdom things done? Now, here's what I would confess. Uh, tools of the world will get worldly things done. Right, so you can have a communist or a fascist, right? You you can you can certainly hone the world through force to create whatever you perceive to be your utopia. And many people in history have done this in the name of Christ, 
right? So you see all the way throughout Europe, you see in different contexts, even right now with Vladimir Putin, he's got the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Russian variation of it, super behind him because he's kind of pitted some of his ideology as this is a fight against the West that is uh, just bringing in all this liberal thought. They have lost touch with what is morally true. And so it's almost a religious crusade that he is on as well. And the church is backing it. And I'm like, right, you can use a lot of earthly tools in the name of Christ, but it's Christless. It's not anything about what Christianity was and it misses the way. So in our society, we need to worry about the same stuff, right? And and part of what I'm seeing right now, and this gets into the kind of the core of the talk for today, but what I'm seeing in part right now is uh, like this weird, we've gone on the offense for a while on some social issues, right? And in going on the offense, eventually what happens is your quote opposition analyzes your approach of offense and they go, hey, that's a good play. I think I'm going to borrow that play from the playbook. I'm going to use that play, and I'm going to make them now go on the defense. And that's exactly what's happening right now on a topic that I've dealt with before in the podcast. So we're coming back around to it in a different way. But uh, this this whole idea is coming to fruition for those who are opposed to the Bible. Um, and they're using the playbook of those who have been opposed to certain books in the library, right? So let's go back to that. So as you know, I am not a fan of banning curriculum. I'm not a fan of banning books. And I certainly am not a fan of legislatures banning curriculum and banning books. Not a fan, all right? Um, Just because as soon as politicians are banning stuff, eventually they're gonna ban your stuff too. And you can't complain if you loved it when they banned everybody else's stuff. It's very hard to have like any kind of intellectual honesty when you're like, I loved it when they banned that, but now you can't ban my stuff that may have the same kind of offensive content because that's quote, not fair. It's completely fair, right? So I'm not a fan of banning materials. I'd rather let things stand on the merits of their content, and then they rise or fall. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think a parent should be involved in, you don't want your kid to learn that? Pull them out of school. You don't want your kid to learn that? Take them out of that class. You don't want your kid to learn that? You've got options. You're a parent. You can come up with other solutions if that's your conviction. I really do believe that, and I think there's room for that. I'm not complaining about that at all. I think that's awesome for a parent to be able to do that, right? So, um, in all kinds of different venues and forms. So, I'm supportive of parents doing that. I actually am supportive of local school boards trying to do their job and everything else, and however the systems are set up there, we the people put those systems in place. I don't understand how every state and every district set that stuff up, but that's, you got to have some people steering the boat, or if you have everybody steering the boat, the boat goes nowhere, or it goes everywhere, and therefore goes nowhere at the same time, so anyway, there's my rant right there, so uh, not a fan of banning stuff, all right, I'd rather engage with the content and show a better, more thoughtful reply, response, uh, kind of dismantling uh, than anything else, right, but that takes work, for sure, you know, I, I get that, but I'm a fan of that, so I clearly do not like bands. Uh, I don't like like the guy in Tennessee or whatever that did the big book burning or whatever else. I'm like, this is just silly. You're spending a bunch of money to buy books to make a point to burn them. Now, in the book of Acts, there's this scene where Paul goes in Ephesus and he sees all these people begin to follow Jesus. And they come and they bring all of their witchcraft books and whatever else, you know, their idol kind of components, and they burn all of that stuff. But see, that's not like a uh, a big showy, like, come and bring it all in and burn it. These people are like, I'm done with this. I want to get rid of it out of my life. I'm finished. I think it's awesome when people of their own free accord go, I'm getting rid of these things. I think it's a completely different thing when it's like, we're going to keep all of you from having this. And if we burn it, you can't have it. I'm like, that's insane, right? That is the very thing we would probably think like, that's crazy. You don't do that. So clearly, I have a passion about this. 
I'd rather argue on the merits than just remove it from the equation. So there is that. Now, with all of that said, uh, what's been happening in different places is there's certainly been this kind of rising up of we need to ban these books and these curriculums from school libraries and public schools and, uh, you know, uh, just standard state-run libraries. I mean, there's all this big push. And in the more kind of conservative states, there's been like, yeah, we're getting rid of some of this stuff that we consider to be pornographic, smut, whatever else, right? But what is good for the goose is good for the gander, okay? And so we kind of highlight how, man, look at the content of these books. Kids should not be, like, allowed to see this. And so then some atheist groups were like, yeah, what are the statutes that are in place? What is the content that is forbidden? And let's look at the Bible and see if that content is in there too, right? So you have some stuff going on in California right now, also in Utah, also in Florida, where they're just simply looking at either legislation that is there or legislation that is pending. And they're like, well, if this is what is ban-worthy, the Bible fully is ban-worthy under these conditions, right? Now, as Christians who go, no, 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 that's different. That's the word of God. That's the Bible. That's a completely different playing field, right? But I have to look at the legislation, the proposed legislation, and then I measure it against the Bible and I go, I think they're right. This is what happens when we're so busy trying to play offense to remove what we think is morally inappropriate from society. We forget that that can wash up on our shore and our book isn't so clean. All right. In fact, our book is far from clean in many ways. And I know that's a little bit weird. and It sounds like I'm against the Bible, but you know me. If you're watching this video, you can see behind me. I got all kinds of books. They're all about the Bible. I teach the Bible every week. I go verse for verse through the Bible. I care about defending, protecting, explaining the Bible. I'm a pro-Bible guy. I've got years behind me to show I'm a pro-Bible guy. That's not the point. But I'm also a guy that is honest about the Bible, right? I don't want to try to enshroud it in this like, oh, there's nothing in there that's inappropriate. There's a ton of stuff in there that's inappropriate. And by the standard that's being used to judge other books and remove them from libraries, the Bible under those conditions probably should be removed as well. Now, I'm not a fan of removing any books, Bible or the others. So for me, I go, it's very consistent, but I want to kind of highlight to you right now the things that are in our Bible that would put it just as much at risk under the very policies we've been supporting by and large as Christians. It will be the very thing that backlashes on us and pulls our own book out of the system if we're not careful about what we're fighting about, all right? So, uh, just before I did the podcast, I just literally just sat down from memory. I didn't even like grab my Bible. I'm just like, I just remember these things because I get to study it enough. And I'm just going to highlight some things just in chunks of the Bible. Like you go like, oh, here's what's in the Bible. So the simple one just starts off at the beginning of the book. There's like a dude, there's his wife, they're naked and they're not ashamed. That's pretty kind of benign, honestly. It's like, cool, they're naked and they're not ashamed at all. But that's the way the story starts. And if you're having a little kid, like you're explaining the Bible story, it's like, yes, they were naked and they weren't embarrassed by it. We'd be like, well, but we want you to be kind of embarrassed. Don't go run around naked. You got to be a little bit more embarrassed by it today. But they weren't embarrassed by it then. So how do you kind of explain that to a kid, right? But that's like the cleanest part of the book of Genesis, right? You got Abraham. He actually pimps his wife out more than once. Uh, so he's like, okay, yeah, you can have sex with her. And in exchange, I get some goats and livestock and some property or whatever else. And he does it two different times with two different political leaders. That's kind of crazy. His son also does it once with his wife, which is a little bit nutty too. But then it goes on, right? So you have uh, later in the story, this woman, Tamar, and she's married to a guy and he dies. And so they're using the Levitical um, uh, or the Levite marriage process to to have her have an heir and so she then 
ends up having sexual relations with the brother of the deceased husband, but he doesn't want to impregnate her. So it says in the text that he spills his seed on the ground. Like, that's graphic, right? Spills a seed on the ground. Nobody will impregnate her. So then she dresses up as a hooker and she seduces her father-in-law to have sex with her to impregnate her, right? And in the end, you know what he says that is? That's a righteous action on her part, right? To seduce and dress as a hooker turns into being a compliment of righteousness. That's a strange story right there, but it doesn't stop there, right? You get into Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you get into all sorts of interesting laws, right? It talks about bestiality, talks about all these other sexually inappropriate things that you should not do. It gets into if you grab a man's testicles while you're in a fight with him as a woman, your hand should be cut off. Gets into if men have discharges, which are sexual discharges, uh, they're unclean for a certain amount of time. If women have their menstrual cycle, they should be also deemed unclean, kicked out of the camp. So menstruation is seen as an impure thing that religiously negatively impacts you in some way. So every little girl that's now passing into her cycle period time, it suddenly like, well, this is a shameful, embarrassing thing because in the Old Testament it says, I'm unpure, unclean. This is a bad thing. Like, that's the way it kind of looks there. But it goes on. You get into Joshua. All these spies come. Where do they go? They go to the local hooker's place, the brothel, the prostitute's house to stay. Man, imagine if I went to like, I don't know, Seattle, and I stayed at a hooker's house because I was just going to check out some land for maybe building a church. You don't think that's crazy? Yes, we should think they're crazy in the story too, right? How about judges? Samuel or uh, Samson is constantly uh, going into women, as it says, right? And he loves the prostitutes. He loves the prostitutes. Also in Judges, you have like women getting raped and then dismembered, even though they weren't the ones that were looking for any sex, they get raped. And then they get cut into pieces and scattered all over the place just to make some points. Like that's pretty wild. You get into all the stories of the kings and you've got like like David, he's got a harem, he's got multiple wives, he goes into an affair and then he tries to cover it up and it's just a big mess. And then one of his sons, Amon, rapes his sister and, and, and that's a mess. And so the other brother, uh, Absalom, he steps in, kills his brother, but then he's mad at his dad. So he takes his dad's concubines and he has sex with them in the open air in front of everybody to make the point that he is just disrespecting his father. But eventually David has a true heir, which is Solomon, and that dude is a sexual train wreck, all right? But he wrote some really interesting stuff about sex, like always be satisfied with the breasts of your wife. He goes and describes every bodily part in Song of Solomon, and all of this stuff, by the way, according to the legislation of banning books, would be under the category of why the Bible would be banned. If you describe buttocks, breasts, testicles, touching testicles, any of these things that bans a book, all of that stuff is in our Bible. Then you get to the prophets, right? And God is constantly talking about like uh, adultery and uh, uh, kind of how Israel has played the harlot. And he describes in vivid detail how they played the harlot, that they've taken metals and they've molten them down into the shape of males to have intercourse with them. And I mean, just he's super, super graphic about it, right? And that's in the prophets. And then you get into the New Testament and you have even the very last book of the Bible, right? Like there is this harlot that rides the beast. It's a hooker that rides an animal. And then there's this woman named Jezebel in the city of Thyatira in that church. And everybody's getting some kind of transmittable sexual disease because they're going into her bed and laying with her. I mean, it's all in there, right? So that's just a quick like lightning round. I'm just spitting them out right uh, on the top of my head kind of thing. And, and I go, this is what we have to realize is, as I said earlier, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If we're going to be like, all of this stuff is smut. We need to outlaw it, outlaw it. 
then there's gonna be others that go right and your book has a lot of stuff in it too now we might go but our book isn't glorifying it right it's not glorifying it, but that's not what the, the statute says. It's not like, well, if a book glorifies a thing, it should be removed. It's if a book describes a thing, it should be removed. And I'm like, well, right. And our book describes a lot of things. It does, right? Now, does that mean I'm anti-Bible? No, I keep saying, I don't want stuff banned, including the Bible. But what I do find in this is it creates an unnecessary culture war that doesn't advance the cause of the gospel further, right? We're getting too much in the weeds of wanting to protect under this ethical banner instead of, hey, how about we just really live out a really high ethic in our own lives? How about we are the most um, committed to all of these standards that we hold that we can say, yeah, I, uh, my Bible's full of all kinds of wacky stuff and it's a great reminder of don't do that stuff and that we live above board and we live truly like Jesus and we really honor the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, definition of love, the fruit of the Spirit. Like we do that stuff, do that stuff really, really well. And that becomes compelling because if you have a, a kind of a, a complete joy-filled, stable life, man, people want that kind of stuff in their life. They do. So many do. Maybe not everybody does, but so many do. And that's where we want to start thinking in terms of how do I let my light shine? Not I'm shining my light on all their bad stuff and then trying to get it all removed because then they just spin the light and my stuff's got bad stuff too, right? But if I live an impeccable life, if I live out the qualities of Christ, if I'm not getting pulled into the ditch over here or the ditch over there and wanting to have some kind of fight about, you know, books or curriculum, and instead I am, uh, I am displaying something more quality, more healthy, more in tune, more stabilizing, Man, that's a powerful force for change. That really is. So you can tell in this one, I'm a bit passionate. And part of it is just because I believe in academic honesty. I believe in the integrity of looking at documentation and saying what's really there. And when I look at what's really there and I look at what's being banned and the reasons they're being banned, I go, our book also should be banned then according to the reasons. And I don't want that, right? I don't want that at all. But what I also don't want is for us to be chasing down these ethical battles but we don't embody our ethical standard. And I don't want us chasing down these ethical battles as though we're better than those who are the opposite of us and that we're trying to beat them and best them and bruise them and batter them into something when that's not going to reach their heart. That's not going to let the gospel take root in their lives, right? Now, you might be saying, oh, I guess Matt will never fight any moral issue ever in society because he just wants to be the willy-nilly, it's all about Jesus and do the kingdom thing. No, I'm not saying never. I'm just saying I think this is a dumb one, right? I think it's a dumb one um, in comparison because it, 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 it just creates more division than is necessary and it burns more bridges than we want. And I think until we get our own house in order, like literally like every week we have a new church leader blowing out for an affair, financial impropriety, uh, anger management problem, whatever else, you know, it's like it, until we actually really look different, until we're living out uh, grace and truth in our own lives, lives, I don't think we should worry about how the world is out of alignment with the truth of God in their lives, right? I just don't. And I don't think we can run from the world. And I certainly don't think our mission is to judge the world. If anything, we're meant to be light and salt to the world. We're meant to be change agents in the world, but we don't bring change by forcing change. We bring change by living as changed people, sharing a gospel that can change people, and then letting Jesus bring the change in people. That's where the traction's found. 
And I think the more we can do that and we don't get worried about all these other things, the more we can be committed to what he's called us to and we don't get pulled into the left or the right. We don't get pulled into the trenches, if you will, of stuff that just really doesn't transform lives. This idea that if we just keep it from them, they'll be different. No, if we keep it from them, they'll just find something else, right? They'll just find something else. But if we can be engaged at the level of being like Jesus, loving like Jesus, investing like Jesus, being a friend to sinners just like Jesus, well, then the more we will be effective everyday missionaries.